All right, so we are making our way through Unit 5 of Humble Yourself, The Way to Greatness. And Unit 5 is about various ways of seeking the Lord, humbling ourselves before God by seeking Him. And we're up to point E, which is fasting, and we're making our way through this. We're up to that fasting is also a way of seeking the Lord for mercy for the sick, for their healing and deliverance. So we're going to keep plowing through and look at what the Word of God has to say about this. So Psalm 35, starting with verse 13. But but I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. So when someone is sick, we seek the Lord through fasting, afflicting ourselves with fasting. We cannot repent on someone else's behalf. I know that's a whole other teaching in the body of Christ today. If it were that easy, and I cover this in the gospel is the power, but if it were as easy as repenting on behalf of other people, then Jesus could have just come into the world, God in the flesh, repented on behalf of the whole world, and we'd be in the age to come already. Okay, that's not a thing. But in an old covenant understanding of sickness, sickness is directly linked to sin. If you sin, there will be sickness. This is all in the law of God, the blessings and the curses. It's also very clear if you obey, if there's obedience, which obedience means you're not in sin, right? You're doing things God's way. If there's perfect obedience, then there will be no sickness, okay? So in the Old Testament understanding, when they're sick, Obviously, there must be some sin somewhere. There's a punishment somewhere. And so fasting and afflicting yourself before the Lord is the way of seeking God for mercy on your friend or your relative or this person in your life who is sick. And that's what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 35. When they're sick, I humbled myself on their behalf. I humbled myself to petition the Lord for mercy on their behalf, to petition the Lord to show mercy to them. I bowed my own head. I afflicted myself so that they might receive mercy. And I call to remembrance, in the last class, I talked about the Day of Atonement. Atonement for sin is the Lord's alone. No one else can make atonement for sin, just like no one else can repent on behalf of another person, okay? But we can fast to a afflict ourselves to invite and allow God to do his work, to show ourselves as humble and nothing but dust before him, to show that we are in need of God and we acknowledge our need for God and we acknowledge our need for God to help us in the situation where our friend or loved one is ill. And only God can show mercy. Only God can heal and deliver from this affliction. 
And I know in the West these days we've got so many medicines and remedies and treatments and special plans and diets and all of this stuff. But I've got news for you. The times that are ahead, those remedies and medicines are no longer going to be available. And the times are coming when in order to get prescription medicine, you're going to have to take the mark of the beast. And so it's really important now that you start learning to believe God for your healing. You're healing from sickness, even the most minor affliction that you start learning and training yourself to, in the ways of God, to be healed by God, to offer yourself to the Lord, to place yourself, humble yourself before God, to seek his mercy and pardon to be cleansed by faith in the blood of Jesus. Yes, I know I just said sickness is a result of sin. Well, guess what the good news is? The blood of Jesus cleanses you from sin. So the provision for healing by his stripes, we were healed. And now we receive our healing as an act of faith. Now, this isn't a healing class. This is a humble yourself class. If you want to read more about healing, I've got a whole book about it. It's called Biblical Healing. And there will at some point in time be a podcast course on healing. It won't be the same as the book, but it will be talk about healing and, and how all of these dynamics work and the good, 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 good news that Jesus paid for every kind of cause of sickness. He redeemed it. He atoned for it. He covered it through his sacrifice, his bloodshed, his death, and his resurrection and ascension. Hallelujah. But that doesn't mean that we don't still have to humble ourselves to seek God, to have mercy on us and receive that mercy that's already available to us by the blood of Jesus by humbling ourselves before God and receiving it by faith. Hallelujah. So I don't want to go too much further about that. Like I said, that's a whole other book. It's a whole other class. But we still need to seek God when we are sick, when we need deliverance. God is the one who is our healer, and we need to seek him, the great physician, as if he is our only hope. Humble ourselves as if he is the only one with the answer, because you know what, friends? He is. So a different example. This is from 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now, this is after David had sinned big time, bad. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And guess what? It wasn't just adultery. She got pregnant. And then, you know, she gives birth to the child. They they weren't aborting babies in that day like they are today. They, that was not even conceived of. That would have been the greatest wickedness anyone could possibly think of. No one was doing that in those days. Bathsheba carries the child to full term, gives birth to the child. But God had already told David that the child would not live. So the child is there. The child becomes ill. And David fasted. Before the Lord, he sought mercy and pardon from God on behalf of the child. So let's take a look. 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting with verse 16. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. We talked about laying prostrate before the Lord. David fasted no food and laid prostrate on the ground before the Lord. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. 
On the seventh day, the child died. So David did not eat for seven days. If you think that's a long time, you know, we've got to get our bodies trained for longer periods of fasting. David did not eat for seven days. The child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him that the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. See, they really didn't understand what fasting was all about. David was seeking pardon from the Lord, mercy from the Lord, but the death of the child was the sign, the evidence that God had chosen not to heed David's request. See, fasting does not guarantee the results that we petition for. You can fast, you can starve yourself all you want, but if you're doing it just to twist God's arm, you might not get what you fast for and what you ask for. See, David understood what he was fasting for, and he also understood that in the death of the child, God had definitively declared and demonstrated that God was not listening to David's petition, but was following through on the just punishment that he said would be the result because of David's adultery. So verse 19, but David got it. When David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. Okay, so the time of rending your garments, dust and ashes, time on your face before the Lord, fasting, it's over. God has rendered his verdict. So David washes himself. He's not abasing himself before the Lord anymore. He's presenting himself back to normal. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He worshiped. God, even as God had taken the child and not answered his request, David still knew that God was worthy of all worship, that God was sovereign, that God was right and just and fair. He did not question God. He did not continue to harm himself. He didn't keep fasting. He didn't pout. He didn't cry. He didn't throw a fit. He didn't say, oh, I fasted and you didn't do what I wanted you to. No, he worshiped. Another act of humility, he worshiped. He then went into his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But then when the child died, you arose and ate food. See, they didn't get it. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. See, he was petitioning the Lord to change the situation, and God didn't, and that's God's right. But David knew what he was fasting for, and he knew that God had made his decision. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So David took the eternal perspective. The child was with God, and David one day would also be with God. But the child was not coming back from the dead. No matter what David did, no matter how long he fasted, no matter how he, you know, afflicted himself, God had made his decision. 
So we have to understand that fasting doesn't twist God's arm, and it's not a guarantee. It's an act of humbling ourselves before the Lord, even as we humble ourselves and fast before the Lord for someone else's healing. So another example of this, we're jumping into the New Testament now, from Mark chapter 9. So Jesus has to heal, cast a demon out of a young boy. His disciples had not been able to cast this demon out. The father had brought the son and the demon had tormented the child repeatedly, throwing him into the fire, foaming at the mouth, all of these convulsions and contortions, and the disciples were not able to cast the demon out. So when Jesus came down the mountain, he had just been transfigured, he comes down the mountain and he casts the demon out. And the disciples ask, well, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus responds. This is uh, the New King James Version. I believe this is also included in the King James Version. Some versions don't include fasting, the fasting part at the end of this. But let's take a look. Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 28. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind, and he means this kind of demon, can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So fasting is the deepest way for us to humble ourselves before God, to repent before the Lord, to seek his mercy. Okay, so this kind of demon, this kind of authority over evil, so that demons have power, they have evil power, this type of authority over the demon cannot be granted unless our flesh is silenced. And our flesh becomes silenced, and the power of God grows in us by prayer and fasting. Now, interestingly, in the Matthew version of this same story, which takes place in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus, if you read through the paragraph, it's possible that Jesus is referring to this kind of unbelief. So he's the disciples asked him, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus responded, because of your unbelief. And the dialogue goes on, and Jesus says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And so does he mean this kind of demon, or does he mean this kind of unbelief? And I've heard debates about that. I can go for either one. If you want more spiritual power, fast but we're going to talk about it. You can't just fast for spiritual power. God knows your heart. If you're just looking to exalt yourself by humbling yourself, God's on to that game, okay? We have to humble ourselves in prayer and fasting, and through that, our flesh is destroyed. Our flesh is silenced as we enter into voluntary weakness so that the Spirit of the Lord grows strong in us. And then we have power and authority and faith to believe that God is greater than any demon, than any force of evil could possibly be in the life of a person. And we can cast those demons out of them and deliver them from their sickness and their torment. But Jesus is saying, either this kind of demon comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting, or this kind of unbelief comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. These are some of the reasons that we will fast, humble ourselves before the Lord by fasting. 
for the healing and deliverance of ourselves and also those we love. So switching gears a little bit here, um, the next point, fasting from luxurious or worldly foods is a way of setting ourselves apart to the Lord. So I did say in either this class or another class that for me, fasting has always been uh, water only. There have been times when I have sometimes done a Daniel fast for an extended period of time. What a Daniel fast means is vegetables. So you can have water to drink and eat vegetables only. That is a strict and pure Daniel fast. But really, that's kind of a warm-up. If you are trying to break yourself into some fasting or uh, the practicalities of your life do not allow for you to do full fast or water-only fast, which are I can understand that, then you know, fasting from luxurious and worldly foods is another way of consecrating yourself to the Lord, setting yourself apart to the Lord as holy unto him. So Daniel is our example of that. And I want to just quickly mention, you know, I have heard people talk about doing a Daniel fast, and there are even cookbooks out there that have been written about Daniel fasts. And it's like the selling line is, you'll hardly know that you're fasting. We'll make something so delicious, it'll taste just like the real meat that you're pretending not to be eating. And it's like, um, I think you're missing the point here. The point is voluntary self-affliction. The point is to humble yourself before God. The point is not to pretend that you're eating steak by making a piece of eggplant, covering it in so much breadcrumbs that you feel like you're eating a piece of meat. Like, you miss the point, okay? I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be mean. You just miss the point. Daniel was abstaining. He was in exile in Babylon. He was in exile in Babylon. And if we really recognize our position in this world as followers of Jesus, until Jesus returns to bring us into the world to come, we are exiles in this world. And Peter even says that as strangers and exiles, foreigners in this world, right? David was in exile in Babylon. This world is Babylon. The whole world system that exists in the world today is Babylon in rebellion against God. And we are called to be different from that, separate from that. So Daniel, one of the ways that he separated himself unto the Lord was to not drink and eat the king's food and drink. Daniel was one of the gifted ones that was brought into the court of the king, but he abstained from the delicacies that the king offered him. So let's take a look. This is Daniel chapter 1, starting with verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. So they're being offered the same food that the king eats. Nebuchadnezzar, I guarantee he had some fancy food. I guarantee he had the best food in the entire world. Why do I know? Because he was the ruler of the whole entire world. And even God said that he appointed him as such in that day, in that hour. So Nebuchadnezzar, whatever delicacy, whatever the finest foods in the world were, the the more expensive and and luxurious the foods he could get his hands on, the more powerful and, and important he felt about himself. So Daniel was offered the same delicacies that Nebuchadnezzar was eating. 
So that, that that's where we're up to. The same daily portion of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. Again, best wine in the world, I guarantee it. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So they were being trained and brainwashed in the ways of Babylon. That's what Babylon wants to do to you. It wants to take you out of being set apart as a person of God and conform your mind to the ways of Babylon, the ways of this world. And food and drink can be a really compelling way of doing that. Why? Because you got to eat and you need to drink, and food and wine can be very pleasurable and you can be bought with food and bought with wine. How do I know? Because I used to live a very luxurious lifestyle. I have spent hundreds and thousands of dollars on food and wine in my life before Jesus. Believe me, I know it's possible. And believe me, I know it's compelling. You want to be in relationship for business purposes with people. You wine and you dine them. This is where the expression comes from, okay? Food can be a compelling source of building relationship. That's what the king was trying to do, to brainwash them in the ways of Babylon, even with food and drink. Jumping to verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And to verse 11, then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, those are their original Hebrew names, Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. So he's like, no, we're only going to eat vegetables and we're only going to drink water. That's it. We're going to set ourselves apart for the Lord. Now, the servants of the king were concerned about this, and they didn't initially want to do it. So Daniel proposed, let's try it for 10 days. And if we're weak and and can't do what we need to do, then, you know, maybe we'll concede. But give us a test and see what happens. We're going to humble ourselves before God. We're going to abstain from the king's food. We'll only eat vegetables and drink water, and we'll see how it goes. And at the end of that time, they were stronger, they were healthier than all all of the other king's servants. And so they were allowed to eat this special, holy, set-apart diet for the remainder of their time in the king's court. Now, here's the note. Daniel did not just eat this way for 10 days or for 21 days or for, you know, a year, his first year in the court of the king. No, Daniel ate this way, this special diet, for 65 years for as long as he was in the Babylonian court. Okay, so that's what Daniel chapter 1 verse 21 says, as long as he was in the king's court, which was as long as Babylon ruled. But eventually, Babylon was overthrown by Persia. So we pick up the story at Daniel chapter 10, starting with verse 2. In those days, now this is when Persia has already overthrown the Babylonian Empire, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. So at this time, Daniel is having visions. We just talked earlier in a prior class about Daniel fasting on behalf of his people because of the disasters, the visions that he had had of the disasters that were to come. 
so he is still, he's having more visions. He's mourning for what he has seen, what God has shown him in the spirit. And he goes on, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Now, hold up. If he had already been not eating the king's food and not drinking the king's wine, then why is he making a point of saying, I wasn't eating the delicacies or the meat or the wine? It's because when Persia overthrew the Babylonian empire, Daniel resumed eating meat, drinking wine, not to excess. He wasn't drinking to excess, but wine was a regular drink. And because of the fermentation, it was also purified in that day. So it was safe and not poisoned or moldy or uh, full of bacteria and all of that. But Daniel obviously, again, entered into a new time of fasting for three weeks by abstaining from the food that the Persians were offering to him. So Daniel had returned to a standard diet, but then to fast and humble himself before the Lord, he fasted from the delicacies and the meat and the wine again. And this was while he was seeking the Lord because of the visions he had had and the the people of Judah were going to have severe opposition in the times to come and even were facing opposition as they were rebuilding the temple. So Daniel again fasted to see seek the face of the Lord. And just one more quick note on this. Daniel may have been obeying. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Daniel was a holy man. He would have known the scriptures, many of the scriptures by heart, even though he wouldn't have necessarily had scrolls in Babylon. It's highly doubtful that he would have had scrolls in Babylon. But Proverbs, what we know of as chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, go like this. When you sit down to eat with a ruler. Observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are a deceptive food. So Daniel would have known that scripture. He would have known that, you know what? The food and the drink can be intoxicating. And when someone who's in authority or a wealthy person is offering you food and drink, it can be deceptive. And so this is another reason, I believe, why Daniel abstained from the food of Babylon so that he would not be deceived and drawn in to the Babylonian ways. (music) 